Well, today I want to jump right in. I'm very encouraged by this word. I want to share it with you. Last week uh, when we were worshiping, um, I was up here on the, on, on the front as I normally am. I was just worshiping the Lord and just enjoying the presence of our beautiful wonderful King of Kings and enjoying the presence of the Holy Spirit and being in the presence of his people. How many of you guys know that when we gather together, there's an increase of the presence of God because each of us is carrying the presence of God. That's why it says that one will stand against a thousand, but two will stand against 10,000 because the increase is exponential. When we gather, there's a corporate blessing. It says where we gather together in unity, there God commands a blessing. There's a blessing that's being commanded today because we've gathered in his name. Because you're here, the glory of God is being revealed. Come on. Isn't that good news? Thank you, Jesus. So I just appreciate every one of you. I appreciate you. I thank you for your faithfulness. I thank you for your kindness. I thank you for your prophetic words and your faith. I thank you for your ongoing service in our cities and your hopeful shalom bringing life that you're bringing into every area and sphere of influence. I praise God for you. And I'm honored to be known as someone who associates with you. And that being said, let's look at the scriptures. We're going to go to 1 Samuel chapter 30. As I was worshiping the Lord, as I said on Sunday, the Lord downloaded this message to me. And, uh, and so on Sunday, you know, you know how God does that. He just gives you the full picture. You just kind of get that download. It's like, for, you, ever, you ever have that? For me, the way that it registers is it's like I'm remembering something that happened, except for it hasn't happened yet. So it's that part of my brain. Oftentimes God will just speak right into my spirit. And it's like I'm recalling a memory from the past, but it's actually something that's in the future. And then I'm left to try to put that into words in English how many of you guys know that God does speak English, but it's not his first language? He is spirit, and he speaks directly into our spirit. And he can speak all the languages that he invented as well. You guys with me? All right. Are you excited or are you, are you interested? All right. Hopefully you'll get excited. You seem somewhat excited, but you're at least interested, and that's a start. So here's what the Lord gave me. I'm going to share it with you. This is a one-point sermon. I'm going to start by saying that what God wants from us and the way forward is humility and gratitude. You guys recall that it says that though they knew God, they neither glorified him nor were they thankful and therefore they were given over to a perverse spirit. The way forward is humility and gratitude. The way with God is always humility and gratitude. Jesus came and says that he learned obedience. He humbled himself and followed what the Father was doing. And how many of you know that he was exalted above all, every name? Above every name, Jesus was exalted. When we walk forward in humility and gratitude, it actually protects our hearts and causes us to be able to be exalted with Jesus, of course, for his purposes as we do what the Father is doing. But when we, when we move forward in pride, of course, we get the opposite because it says that God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. And so the way forward, whether, whether we're in the middle of a giant victory that's amazing and everybody's just like, whoa! look at what God did. That's incredible. Then the way forward is humility and gratitude. Or whether we just got our butts handed to us, the way forward is humility and gratitude because our God is good and he works everything to our good. So no matter what the scenario is, it's humility and gratitude. Okay. You guys, you guys got that? All right, here we go. I want to give you a little, uh, 
background to this story. It's, uh, it's in, uh, as I said, 1 Samuel 30. And, and, and I'm going to start here in 30. But before 30 happened, I want to tell you what was going on. David and his men and all of their wives and kids and everything, they're actually living in exile for about a year and a half in, in the Philistine, uh, working with the Philistines, the enemy of Israel and Judah. They're working with them. Why? Because Saul, out of jealousy over the prophetic words over David's life, is trying to kill him. So he has to actually go live with the lifelong enemies of Israel and not only live with them, but he's actually fighting for one of the kings of, of, Phil, of the Philistines. And he's out there and he's kind of a double agent, you know, actually he's going out and he's like raiding other camps and just like quietly doing some side jobs here. He's like a double agent, but he's having to work alongside of the enemy because he's attacked by his own king. And, and, and so then something happens, and it's a, it's a hard situation for David, is that the, the Philistines are getting ready to go fight directly against Israel. See, they've been fighting other enemies, but now they've got to fight against Israel. That's kind of a problem if the prophecy over your life is you're supposed to be the king of Israel, and you're about to go fight with Israel, yet you've aligned yourself with the Philistines because Israel's king is trying to kill you. God intervenes, and, and what we see happen is that the the uh, other lords in in Phyllis, in, uh, in in Philistia, they, they, they come to the king who really likes David, and they say, look, we ain't going to war with this guy because he's the one they sing that song about that Saul has killed his thousands, but David's killed his tens of thousands. This is a great time for him to turn on us. We are not going to go fight Israel with this guy. And David is bummed. But the king comes to him and says, David, look, you're like an angel of God to me, the king of uh, Philistia. And he says, but you got to go. You got to go. So David just got fired. He just got fired. So he and his, and, his, and his team pack up all their stuff, all their gear. They've been, they're ready for war. They got all their gear. And they take about a 50-mile hike back to Ziklag. And that's where we're going to take up the story. So they just got fired. How many of you here know what it's like to lose your job? You might not have got fired. But how many in here, seriously, raise your hand if you've ever lost a job. Yeah. How many of you had a business or a, a business venture fail, an investment go wrong? Raise your hand, right? We all, we've all felt that, right? You can identify with just like, man, we had a plan, and that plan just went completely backwards. Or, or buying a used car. How many have ever bought a used car, and then it died very soon after you bought it? Anybody? Oh, my gosh. Isn't that the worst? Especially if you have a car payment. You have now a car that you, a vehicle that was going to win that now doesn't run, but you get to keep paying on it. We've experienced these things. I think we can identify with that. So let's, let's start in, uh, in uh, this first verse. Now, when David and his men came to Ziklag on the third day, the Amalekites had made a raid against the, the Negev and against Ziklag. And they had overcome Ziklag and burned it with fire and taken captive the women and all who were in it, both small and great. They killed no one, but carried them off and went their way. And when David and his men came to the city, they found it burned with fire and their wives and sons and daughters taken captive. Then David and the people who were with them raised their voices and they wept until they had no more strength to weep. I, I was thinking about really we can find ourselves in this story. I mean, this is a historical picture of what happened with David and with, and with Israel, with Judah, and, and what he was going through. But how many of us can see ourselves in this story? Those things that, how many of you, you don't have to raise your hand, but how many of us have been through a divorce? It's like you had an entire 
life. And then you came back and it's gone. And everything that you built is gone. And where you lived, it's like it's on fire. How many of you have, have lost a child? How many of you have lost a relationship? You're, you're estranged from, from your child or you're estranged from a brother or a sister or a mother or a father and everything that you had, you, you show up and for whatever reason, it's gone. And the place where you used to live, it's like it's on fire. Well, they came home and the city where they lived is on fire and everything that they own and everything that they love is gone. And they, li and they lifted up their voices and they wept until they had no more strength. And I think every one of us has probably had some degree of, of, of at least empathizing with being in that place where you've lost everything and all you can do is just weep until you have no more strength. Can we go to the next It says, now, David had two wives, and they also had been taken captive, Ahinoam of Jezreel and Abigail, the, the widow of, of Carmel. And David was greatly distressed, for the people spoke of stoning him, because all the people were bitter in soul, each for his sons and his daughters. Now, I want you to think about this for a minute, because I think we've all been in this, in this situation, and many of us have maybe been on both sides of this situation, where everything goes wrong, and, and, and it's like, I don't know what went wrong, but I know, I don't know why it went wrong, but I know everything went wrong. And, and so then, you know, we're rational beings. We, we want to learn from the past. We don't want to repeat the mistakes. And so we got to make sense of it. So it's like, well, what went wrong? And, and many of the people in this group said, well, what is a leadership problem? We got a leadership problem. Let's kill our leader. He, he should have left people to guard Ziklag or he shouldn't have taken us to be with the Philistines in the first place or what, who knows. But I'm sure since they're humans, it was all the same things we would come up with in the same situation of a great loss and losing all things. It's like, who did this? Who do we have to blame? And many of us, I think, could probably identify with that. We've been in those kinds of situations, whether it was that dad picked a really horrible va vacation for us to go on, and it's terrible. We're like, this is dad's fault. Or <laughs> we've been in a situation where the leaders, we feel like, man, you failed us. We put our trust in you. You failed us. But on the other hand, on the other hand, how many of you have led something? And when it all went wrong, regardless of whose fault it was, and, and it was actually no fault of you. We have all tried to lead things and had it go terribly wrong, that there's just, life happens, right? It says that as surely as sparks fly upward, man is born into adversity. God says, in this life, you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer, I'll be with you. And so, so bad things happen in this broken world, in this momentary battle of until God brings the fullness of his kingdom, we're extending it, but bad things are going to happen. And how many of you have been leading something and bad things happened and all of your team turns and go, what did you do? I see a problem and the only thing left that I have to solve is just fire you, boss. You're the worst. You're the worst, dad, you did this. You're the worst, mom, I hate you for this. You're the worst, big brother or big sister or owner of this company or lead of this team. How many of you guys understand what I'm talking about? Have you been on a team where it didn't go well and everybody's like, we see the problem and it's you. Does anybody identify with this one? You've all got PTSD. You're like, I can't even raise my hand here. I'm just weeping until I have, I don't, I'm going to weep until I have no strength left. But you could see what David's going through. And in that moment, I think all of us can identify with both sides of that. 
feeling, feeling let down by a leader and just wanted to stone them, distance myself from them, hate them. They're the worst. They tricked me. And then also, we've been that leader. You said it was going to go good. You said this investment would be awesome. You said this would work, mom, dad. You said this would work, pastor, friend, whatever it is. So I think we can all see ourselves in this story. We felt that. Let's continue on. It says, but David strengthened, strengthened himself in the Lord his God. Oh, thank you, God. Let's just thank him right now. Jesus, thank you that you're our strength, that we can strengthen ourselves in you. Your joy is our strength. Your joy doesn't matter about circumstances. Your joy causes us to get back up and say, all right, <laughs> that was horrible, but you're God. What do we do now? And David said to Jason Haig, how do I enunciate this name? Is it Abiathar? Yeah. Okay. Abiathar. Say it with me, class. Abiathar. All right, I got it locked in. Abiathar, the priest, the son of Ahimelech, bring me the ephod. And so Abiathar brought the ephod to David. And David inquired of the Lord, and he said, shall I pursue after this band? Shall I overtake them? And he answered him, God said, pursue, for you will surely overtake and surely rescue you. Hallelujah. Uh, surely rescue. Surely rescue. Hallelujah. Praise God for the word of the Lord. How many of you guys know that regardless of circumstance, it's the word of the Lord that we stand on and that we act upon? It's always the case. It may seem like that relationship will not be restored. What's the word of the Lord? It may seem that that investment, like Rick said, may seem like you just lost all of your money. Okay, but what's the word of the Lord? It may seem that your business idea didn't work. Okay, but what's the word of the Lord? Amen? Now, it says, so David went, he and the 600 men who were with him, and they came to the brook of Besor, where those left behind remained. But David pursued, he and 400 men. For 200 who were too exhausted to cross the brook Besor remained behind. I want you to think about this for a minute. I want you to just take the context of this story. I want you to think about this. You're here. You're, you're, you're with these people, okay? And I want you to put yourself in this situation just as we're doing. We're, we're identifying and empathizing with the story because I think we all can empathize with every part of the story. And here it is. They get to the brook of Besor. They've lost their job. They hiked 50 miles home with all of their gear. They found their city burned. They have no idea what's wrong, what, where their wives, kids, and everything that they've ever earned and own is. And the city is in flames. They don't know where they are or where they went or even who took them. And then they march again, loaded up, ready for war, after weeping until they have no more strength. And then they come to this, and it says the brook. It's a, it's a wadi. I was reading about it's a wadi, and they were saying this particular section, it's about 400 feet wide, and you have to hike down an incline, go across, and then hike up. So it wasn't, it says brook. I, that's not a very fair <laughs> translation there. But at this point, 200 of them, it doesn't say 200 of them who were lazy and didn't love their wives and children stopped. It doesn't say that. It doesn't say 200 of them who are, are, are weak and the pathetic ones of the group. It doesn't say any of that. It says 200 of them who were so weary that they could no longer go forward had to stop in this wadi. 
And I want to say, how many of, of us can empathize with that? Where we have come to the end of our own strength. Because it happens. I think about that scripture. I comfort myself often with that. That was a weird statement. I don't even. Often. Often. Yeah. Okay. Let's just. I don't know what just happened. But it worked. Sort of. To distract us from the word. I, I comfort myself often. <laughs> with the scripture that says. When we are weak. He is strong. And that his strength is made perfect in weakness. And, and I, I want to I tell you that as far as a leader, this has been the most challenging year that I've ever led at Christ Center. And I think you probably all can, 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 can empathize that this has probably been the most challenging year for you in a lot of areas as a leader. Whether you're leading your family or leading yourself at work or leading business or leading a conversation online, this is a challenging year. And I can tell you this. I, I was talking with, uh, with some people in my life and, and they were, and I was, and I was sharing because you know what? I've done really good this year. I got some things where like Rick, I just be like, whoo, this was really, really good. But you know, I've done really terrible this year too. I, I've got both things going on. And I don't know about you, but I've had some times this year where I was so weary that I couldn't go on and I couldn't actually lead very well. Now, you don't necessarily know that because I'm on a team, but there are people in my life that have carried me for part of this year. There are people in my life that have carried me for part of this year, and I thank God for them. And there have been times where I've, I've gotten the opportunity to carry others when they're too weary to go on. But how many of you can empathize that what this says is not because they weren't good leaders or because they were weak or because they were foolish or because they were wicked, then they stayed. No, it says because they were exhausted and they could no longer go on, then they stayed at that place. Can you guys identify with that? Has that ever happened to you in your life? Now they found an Egyptian in the field and, and they brought him to David and gave him bread and he ate and they provided him water to drink and they gave him a piece of fig cake and two clusters of raisins and he ate and then his spirit revived for he had not eaten bread or drunk water for three days and three nights. And David said to him, to whom do you belong and where are you from? And he said, I'm a young man of Egypt, a servant of an Amalekite and my master left me behind when I fell sick three days ago. We made a raid on the Negev of the, of the Cherethites and on that which belonged to Judah and on the Negev of Caleb, and we burned Ziklag with fire. And then David said to him, will you bring me down to this band? And he said, swear to me by your God, you won't kill me or deliver me into the hands of my master, and I will bring you down to this band. And when he had brought him down, behold, they were spread out all over the land, eating and drinking and dancing because of all the great spoil that they had taken from the land of the Philistines and from the land of Judah. David slaughtered them from the twilight until the evening of the next day, and not a man of them escaped except 400 young men who rode on camels and fled. This literary style always cracks me up. Not one man escaped except for 400 young men who took off on camels. This just cracks me up. It's a different literary style. But, but I want to point this out. What's incredible about this battle is that it said not a man escaped except for the, that small number of the 400, which is exactly how many men David had. 
And that just speaks to the size of the battle they just fought, that the small number was just the 400 young men that took off on camels, the exact amount of people that we had. So it's a huge battle. Are you picking up what I'm throwing down? All right. And so David recovered all that the Amalekites had taken, and he rescued his two wives. But nothing of theirs was missing, whether small or great, sons or daughters, spoil or anything that had been taken. David brought back all. David also captured all the flocks and herds, and the people drove the livestock before him and said, this is David's spoil. And then David came to the 200 men who had been too exhausted to follow David and who had been left at the brook Besor. And they went out to meet David and to meet the people who were with him. And when David came near to the people, he greeted them. I love this in, uh, I believe it's the, uh, the message. Um, then it says, they came out to see David, to see how it had gone. And David said, victory! Can you imagine having lost everything? Your wives, your, 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 your children, everything that you've earned in your whole life. Your city is burned. You're too weak to go fight the battle. And you got to trust your friends that while you're standing back and just praying to God that he's going to bring victory, and then you look out over the horizon and you see your friends, you see your brothers that are having to keep your arms up and carry, fight for you right now. You see them coming over and you don't know yet, how did it go? And you don't know too, because here's the other part. Part of them staying back was a military strategy, by the way, that you'd stay back. And if they had to flee and run, you had another contingent that were refreshed and ready to rush to the front line and help, you know, help at least, you know, your last, your last attack. Okay, so this wasn't, again, they're not worthless people, but you see them coming, and then you see David, and you say, David, and he says, victory! I can't imagine. Can you imagine just to, oh, thank God, I'm going to see my wife again. I can't imagine. I'm going to see Karen again. I don't see her yet, but I see David, and David said, victory. And I remember the word of the Lord that was was that nothing will be lost, and I dared to believe it. I dared to believe it, but I kind of hoped that I wasn't just believing in a fairy tale. I kind of hoped I wasn't just prophesying to myself and dreaming dreams, and you know what I mean? Who's been there? And he says, victory, victory. Come on. And then, then, all the wicked and worthless fellows among the men who had gone with David said, because they did not go with us, we will not give them any of the spoil that we've recovered, except that each man may lead away his wife and children and depart. David says, victory! And a wicked and worthless message gets released. Tell me, from where does this wicked and worthless message come? That's right. Thank you, my mother. Satan. In fact, in Revelation, it says this. I'm just going to read this verse because it's a beautiful verse. Let me just talk to you about where, where we're going. Let me read from the end of the book. Now, the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ has come. For the accuser of the brethren has been thrown down, who accuses them before our God day and night, and they overcame him because of the blood of the Lamb and because of the word of their testimony. And they did not love their life even when faced with death. Did you catch that? One of Satan's name is he's the accuser of the brethren. They, here's the worthless and wicked message. You will not Share in any victory because you ran out of strength. 
You will not share in any victory right now. This is a time of a victory, but not for you. You get the bare minimum, and by the way, I am not sticking around with you anymore. You need to be judged, you need to be criticized, and you need to be separated from. We need to divide from you. And who is the author of that message every single time? The one who comes to kill and steal and destroy. In fact, in Proverbs, it says this, there's six things the Lord hates. I'll let you go and look up the other five, but one of them is this, one who sows discord among brothers. It says God hates that. And here it is in the middle of a victory. The victory that God only could have brought. Let me summarize. David just had a political intervention with Israel and him serving the Philistines. He's got to be their king. It's not going to go well later. He's like, remember that time when I was killing all you guys with your enemies? but I've changed. Can I be your king now? That's a problem. And God intervenes and gets David fired so he doesn't even have to face that problem. But not to mention the fact that he would have to quit from the Philistine king and he lives there. It's like, I don't want to work for you anymore, but can I still live here because they still want to kill me? He's between a rock and a hard place and God intervenes and works it to good. Then David comes back and everything has been stolen, but God gives him. First, God spares his life. They didn't stone him. Then God gives them a word and says, go, you'll recover it all, and even more. And they listen to that word, and they go, but they have no idea where they're going. Then God provides the Egyptian who's right there, and he, and he says, will you help us? And the Egyptian says, man, if you won't kill me, no problem. No problem. I'll take you there. So he takes them down there, and what happens? They win it all back, and even more. They get everything that the Amalekites had. And you remember the size of the battle. The only people that got away was just the 400 people, which is as many as David brought. Only 400 people got away. That implies there was a lot more people. Well, it says that he attacked them and they fought from twilight until the evening of the next day. That's a lot of canna. Whoopity. <laughs> and then God restores all. Not one is killed. Everything is restored. It is a victory from the Lord. It is a victory from the Lord, a victory that says with gratitude and humility, let us thank the Lord for it is he who brings victory, not us. And those, four, those, of those 400 that went, it was the Lord that gave them the victory. They wouldn't, even have not, the, they wouldn't even have gone. They wanted to kill their own leader. They didn't even want to go. It was just 10 minutes ago that they wanted to kill David and do nothing, just sit there and cry some more. So the Lord brought the victory, and right on the heels of what God has done, what God is doing, above and beyond what we could ask or think or imagine, in a way that we usually don't think of, God brings the victory. And right on the heels of victory, we have the opportunity to, with humility and gratitude, say, God, blessed be your name. Glory to you. May we all. Then comes that wicked and worthless accusation from the enemy that now is the time to divide. Now is the time to see, well, where were you? Well, where were you? Well, what did you do? Well, what are you doing? What did you say? What are you saying? We need to split up. He always comes to divide. He always comes to kill and steal and destroy. And the word for us right now is don't listen to the wicked and worthless message of the accuser of the brethren. You and I are the people of peace. 
We are a people of shalom. We are the people of God who says, it was not us. Whether we win or lose a battle, whether we, whether, no matter what we see, we know that to him goes the glory. Are you, are you seeing this? And, and what I want you to understand as we go into this year is that, you know, I think that we could probably compare 2020 a lot to Ziklag. We've kind of had a Ziklag kind of year. But the Lord has brought us through. The Lord is continuing to carry us through. We'll have more Ziklag opportunities in 21, I'll guarantee you. And there will, be, there will be battles, and there will be victories, and there will be question marks, and we will continue on. But I will tell you this, God has called us to continue on together in humility and gratitude. Can you receive that? And I, I just want you to recognize that you can sense that spirit of a wicked and worthless message when it comes because it seeks to divide brothers, the very thing God hates. Amen? I want us to pray. Can you stand to your feet? Let's pray together. And um, are you guys able to receive this message in the spirit that it's given? Yes. All right. Oh. Lord Jesus, we come before you grateful for salvation. We couldn't even see the kingdom of heaven until you came and died for us and gave us the ability to be born again. Father, you sent your own son. And if you sent your own son, how much more will you also give us the Holy Spirit and all things that we need? Lord, it is with gratitude and humility we receive the kingdom. We receive the mission to teach the gospel, making disciples of all nations. For all authority belongs to you. We receive that, but we do so with humility and gratitude. We receive 2020. With humility and gratitude, Lord, both those battles we don't understand and we're bewildered by as well as the great victories that you've brought. And we continue on this year, Lord, with a commitment to walk forward in that spirit. And we will not, God, we will not listen to worthless and wicked messages from the evil one, no matter which place they come from. And we ask that you would protect us and that we would walk together in the bond of peace. Bless us, we pray, Lord Jesus. And the church said, amen. amen. I love you, you mighty company of great saints. Go and shine your light and share the shalom that is in you.